Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. All right, we see, we see here the living creatures as we taught you last Sunday that the living creatures are either the seraphim or they are the cherubim. Uh, could be that they're a totally different order of angel altogether. So we talked about the cherubim, the seraphim, and then these living creatures. They are all associated with the throne of the living God. Okay? So uh, we are going to continue our teaching on angels. I thought I was done, but there's just too much if I quit uh, teaching you. You know, if I don't teach you the rest of it today, then you'll miss too much. So I'm going to go ahead and finish uh, the teaching on angels and give you what is necessary. So the ministry of angels, number one, they worship. If you look in Revelation chapter 4, and the verse 11 it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Amen. Father, we come before You right now, and Lord, we ask Your blessing to be upon the reading of Your Holy Word. We thank You, Lord Jesus, for the blood, God, that's upon us today. We ask you, God, that your will would be in and done in, in and through us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. All right. The ministry of angels, the worship and service of angels is, number one, their primary focus. So if you'll uh, read Hebrews 1, 13, 14 also as well. So their desire is to worship and to glorify God and to serve the Lord. Now, Angels do not receive worship. If they receive worship, then that means they're a fallen angel. They are demonic spirits, okay? Uh, angels always direct worship to God. They never receive worship for themselves, okay? So they are involved in the worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and they are involved in the service. Number two. They minister to the saints, Hebrews 1, 13 through 14. They minister to those who are the heirs of salvation. Say the heirs of salvation. So oftentimes they will come and they will strengthen you inwardly. They will do things. They will touch you. You're not even really aware of uh, what they are doing in your life at times. But they will minister to you. They will intervene in your life protect you from accidents, things that they, uh, that you're about to experience or accidents, all kinds of things uh, that angels are involved in protecting you, ministering to you, strengthening you. They are there to the heirs of salvation. And then number three, they ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. Now let's look at this verse. This is in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 tells us verse 51. He saith unto him, speaking to Nathaniel here, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, this takes us back to the Old Testament where Jacob saw a ladder. It's called Jacob's Ladder. Really, that's not Jacob's Ladder. That's the Lord's Ladder. But for the sake of reference, you're familiar with that term, Jacob's Ladder. When Jacob laid down his head at night, he saw these angels ascending and descending upon that ladder, and the Lord was standing on the top of that ladder. Um, we now look in John chapter 1, and we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of Jacob's ladder so that the angels ascend and descend upon the Son of God. But what that means is this, is that they minister to those who are connected to the Son of God, those that are heirs to salvation. This is another way of putting it. They are the heirs of salvation. So the angels are not literally, you know, walking on the Lord, you know, ascending and descending on Him. It's a figure of speech that is telling you that they minister to those 
that are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is a fulfillment of what is called often uh, Jacob, Jacob's ladder. Those that are like Jacob, those that are saved, like Jacob was saved, is what this is talking about, okay? This also teaches us that they have access to heaven and to earth. So they're not limited as to where they can go. They can go into the heavens. They can go on the earth. They do have access. Now, Psalm 91, 11, let's go there. Psalm 91, 11, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. So this scripture, obviously, we know, uh, was referred to by the enemy. He misquotes it. But the teaching is that the angels of the Lord would watch over the Lord Jesus Christ and keep him, as the Bible says, in all thy ways. As long as a person is in the will of God, then those angels come and they keep us in all our ways, as long as we're in the way of God. And once you step out of the will and the way of God, this promise is no longer to you. But as long as you are in the will of God and walking in his ways, then the Bible gives us that promise that the ministry of angels is one that they keep us, okay? Matthew 18, verse 10, it talks about guardian angels. It talks about, you know, little children, that their angels stand in the presence of God, and these angels are guardian angels, okay? Now, I personally believe that by that scripture that you could say that everybody here has a guardian angel, okay? That there is a designated angel that from the time that you were born to the time that you exit this earth in death, that there is an angel that is assigned to you, okay? That is called a guardian angel or a protective angel that is particularly assigned to you individually by God Almighty. So uh, I believe that that is a true statement, that everybody here has a guardian angel. All right? So in Hebrews 12, they also gather with us. Hebrews 12, 22. They gather with the elect when we come into the church house to worship God as a redeemed people. Uh, the scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, that there are the spirits of just men made perfect that gather around the Lord. And when those uh, people who are the spirits of just men made perfect gather to worship the Lord, the Bible tells us there are angels that also are with them. So Hebrews 12 and verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Sion, unto the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now look at verse 22. It tells us here that he's not talking about some future event when the church is raptured into the heavenly Jerusalem. The Bible is very clear here in verse 22, speaking to the redeemed saints, the Hebrews, okay, that are on the earth, he says, but ye are come, say are come, unto Mount Sion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, you can receive this when the church is gathered just men, the spirits of just men made perfect, the redeemed of the Lord. When you gather, you are the heavenly city. You are the new Jerusalem. The bride of Christ is the new Jerusalem. I do believe in the rapture of the church. I do believe that we'll be raptured and that our dwelling place throughout eternity will be a literal heavenly city called the new Jerusalem. But there are some teachers that do not believe that. Some Bible teachers say that there will not be a literal uh, heavenly city called the New Jerusalem, that it is a reference to the church. 
I, I personally believe that the heavenly city, New Jerusalem, number one, is the church. But we are going to go somewhere when we're raptured. And where we're going to go is a heavenly city called the New Jerusalem. But when we gather, when he said, he says, you are coming, not something in the future. He calls us at that time when we gather the heavenly city or the New Jerusalem. He tells us that we're gathering to Mount Sion, the throne room of God Almighty. And when we do, the scripture says there are an innumerable company of angels uh, that gather with us, verse 22. Okay? So we have the heavenly Jerusalem and to the innumerable company of angels that we are come to. So we gathered this morning as saints to worship the living God, the spirits of just men made perfect. There is an innumerable company of angels that gather with the redeemed of the Lord uh, as we worship God. Now, we don't see them, but if, like Elijah prayed, for his servant's eyes to be opened in the Old Testament, in the book of Kings, and when that servant's eyes were open, he looked up and round about the mountains there was this heavenly host of chariots round about Elijah. I mean, they were everywhere in those mountains. Uh, if God were to open our eyes this morning, we would see a heavenly host round about us, an innumerable company of angels that have gathered here with us as we worship the true and the living God. So we can't see them, but they're here right now. Uh, there's more of them here in this place than there are people. They're everywhere, all right? They're sitting beside you. They're up here on the platform. They're in the Sunday school rooms back here in the youth group and uh, all the way back in this building. Everybody that's gathered, all the children, the teachers, and everybody that's gathered to worship the Lord, the Lord, the God, those angels right now are in those places. So, amen. But we just can't see them. That would be the ministry of the angels. Now, without going into every Old Testament and every New Testament passage about angels, because we don't have time for that, we will just give you a general statement. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the ministry of angels is, number one, blessing the saints of God and also bringing judgment on those who refuse to respond to the Son of God. Okay? So, you know, oftentimes when we get into spiritual battle and spiritual warfare, thank God we're the redeemed of the Lord. Thank God we are heirs of salvation. Thank God that the angels are ascending and descending upon the Son of God and that they gathered with us, you know, in worship and praise unto the Lord. They're blessing us. They're helping us fight spiritual battles, so on and so forth. But at the same time, anybody that is an enemy of the gospel of Christ and an enemy of the church of the living God, they fail to understand that they are fighting God and his angels. I would not want to fight God and his angels because what happens is whenever a person refuses to respond to God and to his word, those angels, instead of blessing, those angels come to judge that individual. And that's revealed in the Old Testament, and it's also revealed in the New Testament. So their function is to help the people of God, but also to be involved uh, with the judgment of those who do not respond to God's dealings. Okay? Now, we'll have a few references of angels in the Gospels, and the Acts, and the Epistles, and the Book of Revelation. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, we have the Lord Jesus Christ, is ministered to by him as you read through the gospels and we're not going to do that today uh, look at all of these instances but we see that angels came and they ministered to the lord jesus christ so number one angels were created by him because jesus is none less than god so he created the angels the angels were created for the lord jesus christ and they also ministered Jesus Christ. So say with me, he was, they were created by him, for him, and they ministered to him, okay, in the gospel. 
in the book of Acts, then we see throughout the book of Acts how angels came and ministered to the church. One well-known uh, writing, reading in the book of Acts, in the 12th chapter, we have Peter cast into prison. An angel of the Lord appears there and helps him get them out of prison. So throughout the book of Acts, we see the ministry of angels involved with the church. In the book of Revelation, as you get beyond the book of Acts and the epistles, you see heavy involvement of the angels in the end times. Right before the second coming of Jesus and associated with the second coming of Jesus, heavy activity, heavy involvement with the angels. So, as we get closer to the coming of the Lord, you can expect more and more angelic activity upon planet Earth because we have clear references throughout the book of Revelation, and I will reference them uh, later on, of angels involved in and before the coming of the Lord, heavy activity. So that's probably one reason why there's so much uh, activity going on in the heavens. People are seeing what they call unidentified flying objects. They don't realize that in the last days, there's going to be heavy angelic activity associated with the coming of the Lord, amen, and before the coming of the Lord. Some of that activity is not good angels. Some of that activity is demonic angels, the fallen angels that, uh, and I think a lot of people are seeing visions of, and they call them aliens. These are fallen angels that they are seeing, okay? So the more and more we get closer to the coming of the Lord, you're going to see more activity before the coming of the Lord uh, associated with that coming and in the coming of the Lord. So this is something to be excited about. As we get closer to the coming of the Lord, it's very possible that God will begin to use angelic ministry in a visible way for the church, for this church. Is that correct? All right? So praise the Lord. Now... <clears throat> So, also, uh, they are involved in the escorting or the transportation of the spirits of the saints to paradise. Now, remember we have in the Bible where Lazarus died. The scripture tells us that the angels of the Lord escorted him into paradise. So, one purpose of the angel, and that's why I believe there's an angel, a guardian angel, that is assigned to every one of us at birth is because at death there is an angel that will escort the saint spirit into the heavens, all right? That is a part of their work, the transportation or the escorting of the people of God. So think about that. If you are on your deathbed and you're about to pass away, you know, pass unto the Lord if you're a child of God, then what's going to happen to you, what you can expect to happen, is that there will be an angel that will come and that angel, as your spirit leaves your body, that angel is going to escort or transport, be involved with that transportation of your spirit into the heavens. Now, obviously, your spirit, as far as I know, only God knows, as far as I know, your spirit doesn't have the ability to fly on its own. Amen? Now, once you get a glorified body, I think that your travel will be at the speed of thought. But... When you die and your spirit is separated from your body, I don't see in the scripture where the Bible says you have the ability, your spirit has the ability to fly. So there evidently, and I do know this to be true, that angels are involved in the escorting and the transportation of the spirit of that person that has died into the presence of the Lord. Okay, that's very clear. Luke chapter 16. So that's something we can look forward to. Now, they're also involved with the rapture of the church. When Jesus comes back the second time and raptures the church, and the church is caught up, some that are in the grave, spirits already gone to be with the Lord, their bodies be resurrected, reunited with their spirits, okay? Angels be involved with that. But they're also going to be involved in the transportation of your body. So if you live to see the rapture of the church, that means you don't die. What's going to happen is your body's going to change. And this mortal is going to go down immortality. In the moment of the twinkling of an eye, your body is going to change just like that. And you will have a glorified body. And there will be chariots of God, angelic hosts that will come and they will be involved with the carrying of your body up into the rapture when it takes place. Okay? Now 
that, think about that. So if you are going, if you pass away before the rapture, the good news is God is going to send an angel to carry your spirit, to escort, to transport your spirit into the heavens. If you live to see the rapture, angels are definitely going to be involved too because of uh, that they will be involved with the second coming of the Lord. And so there will be a huge involvement of angels, even in the rapture and transportation of the saints as they escort you into the presence of the living God. Okay? So praise the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, we have examples like Enoch, who was caught up into the presence of the Lord. Okay? Uh, we know that Enoch, evidently, there was a chariot of God that came and was involved in the transportation of Enoch. Now, we know another man in the Bible. His name was Elijah. Elijah was transported by a chariot into the heavens. I mean, obviously God could have pulled him up, you know, by his spirit, by his power. But the Lord used these chariots, these angelic chariots, to transport like Elijah into the heavens. So that's an example. When Jesus ascended up, there is a difference with Jesus, okay? Enoch did not go up in his own power. He was transported or escorted by an angel. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but we know by the rest of the scripture that's what happened. We know Elijah was taken up in a chariot. Jesus went up in his own power because he's God. All right? But notice when Jesus went up in Acts chapter 1, the Bible tells us that there were two men standing there. And they asked the question, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? You understand? They said, this ain't Jesus coming back in like manner. You've seen him go into heaven. But there were two men, the Bible says, there with him as he ascended up into the heavens. So these are pictures and types of what is going to happen to the redeemed of the Lord, those that are ready for the rapture of the church. Now, the question is, are you ready for the rapture? And am I ready for the rapture? You know, if it were to happen today, would you leave? Would God send the chariot for you? Well, I pray to God that everybody here, uh, I don't want anybody to be left behind. And I know that God doesn't want anybody left behind. But you have to qualify to go in the rapture of the church. You have to be rapture ready. And if you're rapture ready, then God will use the angelic host and chariots to escort and be involved in the transportation of your body into the heavens of which Enoch, Elijah, and Jesus is a type. Okay, so praise the Lord. Angels are not permitted to preach. Acts 10, go there please. Acts 10 and verse 3, the Bible tells us there is an angel that appeared to Cornelius Acts 10, 3, it says, He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying to him, Cornelius. And he looked on him, he was afraid, and said, What is it, Lord? He said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms have come up for a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. All right? So we see an angel coming to Cornelius, this Gentile, and the angel tells Cornelius to send for Peter. Now the angel did not have the ability to preach to Cornelius the plan of salvation. Okay? So angels don't preach the plan of salvation. They can announce it. You understand? They can announce, let me put it this way, they can announce things that are connected to salvation, but they never preach it. Now, why is that? Why doesn't God use angels this morning to go and evangelize the whole world? Why doesn't he use angels to go, because they're innumerable, he could send an angel to every person on planet Earth, and they could tell them Acts 2.38. They could tell them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his ascension, that he's king of kings and lord of lords, that he's God come to flesh. They could tell these people that they could be born again of the water and the spirit, given the message of Acts chapter 2. 
why don't why doesn't God do that? That'd be easy, wouldn't it? But they cannot preach the message of redemption because they are not able to be redeemed themselves. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. For example, fallen angels can never be redeemed. Fallen angels cannot be saved. Now, why would God come and redeem fallen man, but not redeem fallen angels? Anybody have an idea? Why? Right. And we had, so we had a federal head, right? And so by that's good. By the federal head of Adam, his headship, that's what the theological term federal head, that he represented mankind when he sinned against God. All right? We were in Adam, and he represented us. So by his decision, by his choice, like Sister Kathy's saying, his choice plunged the whole human race into sin. Okay? So every one of us was born with a sin nature because of Adam's fall, and he represented the whole human race. Okay? So we received that fallen nature, that sin nature in us by birth. Obviously, later on, we sinned by choice individually. But we were under that federal head of Adam, and uh, his decision caused the whole human race to be plunged into sin. Now, the difference with angels is they did not have a federal head. Okay? They, they chose... Now, that doesn't mean they didn't have headship, but they chose on an individual basis to rebel against God Almighty, okay? Whereas mankind fell in another man's decision and then later sinned individually. So this is probably the best explanation that I know and that I have as to why angels will not be redeemed, but man will be redeemed is because angels sinned on an individual basis. You sinned uh, or fell into sin as a, uh, by representation. Okay? So angels, fallen angels, can't be redeemed and because the heavenly host obviously doesn't need to be redeemed and they've never experienced redemption, then they do not have the ability or cannot preach the message of redemption to people. Okay? Now, what they can do is they can make announcements that are in relationship to the gospel. But you and I are responsible to preach the gospel. Okay, you with me? You understand the difference? See, God relies on you and he relies on me to get the word out to the lost. We are responsible, okay, so that the burden of the gospel message is not on angels. The burden of the gospel message is upon the church of the living God. It's upon you and it is upon myself to get that message out. So if we don't do that, that means a lot of people are going to perish. Because that is just, that's the way it is. Okay? So the burden of the gospel message rests upon the redeemed of the Lord we go as having been redeemed and we preach the message of redemption to people who are lost and they become redeemed. Does that make sense to you? It does say praise the Lord. All right. So we have an example in Acts chapter 10. Now, they announced the birth of Jesus. I think I'm just going to, I'm not going to turn there. But in the Gospel of Luke, we see that uh, the angel Gabriel announced the birth of Jesus to Zacharias. Obviously, we have an angel announcing a message that is connected to the gospel. Okay? I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not. When, when it's told you that, that angels can't preach the message of redemption, I don't know if you've ever noticed that they did make announcements in connection to redemption. You see that? But they did not give out the plan of salvation to mankind. They announced the gospel. They announced uh, the message uh, that was connected to the gospel. They didn't preach it. That's our responsibility. 
for an angel Gabriel announced to Zacharias uh, the birth of John say praise the Lord and also the coming of the Messiah and then Gabriel announced it to Mary and gave Mary his name now Jesus did not receive his name from an angel he received his name according to the book of Hebrews from his father now that's real important. An angel didn't give him his name and Mary didn't give him his name. That's very important because the Bible says in Hebrews that he received his name by inheritance. So he being the father received the name of the father in sonship. So if you want to know what the name of God is, the name of God before he became a man to be tested walked among us. His name was Jesus. And so when Jesus was born, the angel did not give him his name. Mary did not give his, his name. He received it by inheritance from the Father so that the name of Jesus is the name of the Father. Not just the name of the Son, but the name of the Father. Okay? But what the angel Gabriel did is he announced the name that the son received from the father. Does that make sense? Wow. That's awesome. That Mary would be the one that would give birth to Jesus, and this would be his name. We're going to call his name Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. For he shall save his people. Look at that. For he shall save his people from their sins. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So that Jesus is none less than God with us in human form, but his name is Jesus. All right? Say praise the Lord. So the angel was clear. He said that this Savior that would come is going to save his people from their sin, and his name is Jesus. But notice they didn't preach the gospel. Still announced. Okay? Joseph was told by an angel of the incarnation of Jesus. The angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary. She'll be thy wife. Amen? Because that which is in, that holy thing which is in her. You understand? He announced that the over, the Holy Ghost came upon her and overshadowed her, and she was with child that way. And so look, an angel again announced to Joseph the message of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and how it happened. Okay? So praise the Lord. Gabriel in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, beginning with verse 24 and on, he announces the 70 weeks, what we call the 70 weeks of Daniel. Very difficult prophecy. But that announcing of the 70 weeks of Daniel has a revelation in it of the coming of Jesus and his crucifixion. That he would be cut off, not for himself, but for his people. So here, Gabriel, even in the midst of the 70 weeks of Daniel gave us the message of the coming of the Lord and his crucifixion for us. You hear me? But they never were allowed to preach the message of salvation to the lost. That's reserved for you and I. So that's why you see like in Acts chapter 10 and then even the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, he had to have a man, Philip, go and preach to this Ethiopian. I think he, he was really a eunuch of Ethiopia of an Ethiopian eunuch. He probably wasn't Ethiopian at all. He was a eunuch from Ethiopia. He was Jewish. A Jewish eunuch from Ethiopia. That's why he wasn't the first Gentile saved. The first Gentile saved is Acts chapter 10, Cornelius. In Acts chapter 8, this man was a eunuch from Ethiopia. Well, Philip had to go and preach to him the gospel as he's sitting up in that chariot. And so he had to go out, literally go out in the desert and find this man and win this man to the Lord, where the angel, the angel could not do it. And then once he preached that message to uh, the eunuch from Ethiopia, not the Ethiopian eunuch, then the Bible says Philip was translated. He just disappeared. Well, what happened was the angel took him to another place. Okay? So, hallelujah. That happened to me. 
I, I did some preaching with him to you guys, and then all of a sudden I just disappeared. You don't know what happened to me. Hallelujah. But it may be an angel took you. It probably wouldn't happen. I think So you understand that they can announce uh, the message that is in connection to redemption and salvation, but they can't preach that message. That's the burden that is upon you. And, and if we're not doing that, we're, we're, we're not doing what we're supposed to do. We're not doing what God told us to do. Praise the Lord. Evangelist came by uh, in the church that I was in, and that evangelist made a statement. He said, when you go to work, God didn't give you that job to make money. God gave you that job to be a soul. Okay? So a lot of times you'll go to work, and I'm going to work so I can make money, you know? That's not why he gave you the job. He gave you the job so you could be a servant. He sold you back into the world. He took you, he redeemed you, he became the seed of God, and he sold the seed of God back into the world. He didn't sow you just here to be here in this assembly. He took you, redeemed you, and then sold you back into the world so that you would be used by God to bring the message of salvation. Amen. All right. The book of Revelation is full of references, and I'm not going to go through the book of Revelation and read all of them. I'm going to give you the scriptures very quickly, especially in connection to the reality that I believe we're in the last days. There is no doubt in my mind that we are in the last days. When you say the last, the last days, I believe that. I do. Okay? In the book of Revelation, we see them. Um, prior to and associated with the coming of the Lord, worshiping, Revelation 5, 11. Angels worship in the book of Revelation. Revelation 7, verse 1. We see four angels holding back the wings of God's judgment. They are restraining the wings of God's judgment from coming on planet Earth in the book of Revelation right before the coming of the Lord. So they're involved with the restraining of the winds of judgment. Okay? And the reason for that is, the Bible tells us, is that these, the God's uh, seal can be placed upon his servants. So they hold back these winds of judgment until the servants of God are sealed, that 144,000 are sealed in their forehead. And then once that seal is placed in the people of God's forehead, amen. Now we've already been through the book of Revelation. We've explained that to you. That means God is saying, they are my people. And there's a mark of protection upon the people of God. And uh, so I believe that we are part of that, but we won't get into details of it because I've already preached it. But he will put a seal on the people of God, protecting those people from the wrath of God. That's why the angels are holding back the winds of judgment until those people are sealed in their foreheads. It's a mark of ownership that we belong to God. Then his wrath will be allowed to come upon planet Earth. Okay? We see the seven trumpets are blown by seven angels. Revelation 8 and 9. We also see in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. Angels involved in sounding the last trumpet. Okay? So angels are involved in sounding the seven trumpets. They're involved with warfare. Revelation 12, 7 through 10. Okay, in the middle point of the tribulation period, great warfare between Satan and his angels and God and his angels will take place. And in the middle of the tribulation period, they'll be cast down to planet Earth. And that's when Satan will come down having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Okay? There's tremendous warfare in the heavens, especially in the middle part of the tribulation period, the middle part of Daniel's 70th week, which that is what is called the Great Tribulation. That's what begins the Great Tribulation period in that time frame, this great warfare between the good angels and the fallen angels. Okay? Revelation 12. Now, we go on and we see also in Revelation 15 and 16, they are the ones that are involved in pouring out the seven bowls of wrath. Okay. This is post-tribulational, by the way. The bowls of wrath are not poured out in the tribulation. They're poured out post-tribulation after the sounding of the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet brings you to the end of the seven-year tribulation period. And then after the sounding of the seventh trumpet, that's when the bowls of wrath are poured out. And it's post-tribulational that that takes place. But those are angels that are pouring out those bowls of wrath uh, in the book of Revelation. Okay? 
He announced the fall of Babylon, Revelation 14 and 8, and they preached the gospel of judgment, Revelation 6 through 9, Revelation 14, 6 through 9. See that angel flying through the heavens? Okay. He was announcing the gospel of judgment. Uh, really, what does that mean? Well, God has given Now, the scripture says that the wicked are tormented in the presence of the Lamb and angels. Now, why would God allow the angels to witness the torment of the wicked? Why, what is that about? Why, why does the Bible tell us that that will happen? I mean, I can understand the wicked being tormented in the presence of God, but to be tormented in the presence of God and the holy angels, why is that? Because the wicked, if you understand the word spurn, the wicked spurned the ministry of those angels. Okay? And so because the wicked, you know, spurned the ministry of these angels, then God says, all right, I'm going to allow the holy angels of God to be present when these people are being tormented. Okay? It's a very serious thing to spurn the help of God and his angels because they're actually going to witness the, uh, the suffering of the wicked in burning. Okay? Uh, Revelation 14, 9, 10. <clears throat> when we have the harvest, <clears throat> Revelation 14, 17 through 19, you're involved with the harvest. Okay? Now, if you want to know what kind of harvest, go to Matthew 13. We see angels involved with the harvest of wheat and tares, good and bad fish. Okay? The Bible talks about in the last days is when the harvest takes place that the angels of God will be involved in the separation of the wheat and tares. Everybody knows what the wheat and tares are, right? Okay. Now, clearly Matthew 13 is connected to the second coming of Jesus when he judges the wicked. Okay? Now, the scripture tells us that the wheat are taken into his barn. That's the rapture at his second coming. Alright? So the redeemed of the Lord are the wheat. The golden grain symbolizes the saints of God. Why is that? Number one, the golden grain of wheat bows its head in submission to God. Okay? It is a a, uh, a grain that is can be used. It produces something. Okay? So, it's submission. It's golden. But tares, on the other hand, you understand what I'm saying? Tares are what the enemy comes in and sows into the church with the golden grain. They're called Darnell. Darnell comes up, and when it first comes up, it looks exactly like wheat. Okay? When you see wheat and you see Darnell or tares growing, you think they're all wheat. But with time, what's going to happen is the Darnell, the way you can tell the difference between the Darnell and the wheat, is Darnell are black tares. And they never bow their head in submission. So, the tear is a type and a picture of the rebel or the person that's in rebellion against God, black-headed, and refuses to bow their head in submission. And these tears are sown into the church. They're sown into the body of Christ, okay? And uh, uh, at the beginning, they look like they're part of the body of Christ, but only with time. Will you see that they're not wheat, that they're darnels, because when they get the head, the black head, and the straight, you know, staunch refusal to submit to God, that's what you have in the tares. So God raptures, and angels are involved with that. They're involved with the rapture or the taking of the golden grain, the people of God, into the barns, but then they're involved with the destruction of the wicked, the tares who are taken and cast into the fire for burning. Okay? Now, I want you to think about this. 
because going back to what we said, the informant of the prince of the holy angels, these angels will literally take up the dead people who the devil sowed into the body of Christ, and they will literally fling them into hell. And as a person is flying to the sky, can you imagine what that would feel like knowing that you are going into a place that you can never escape? are helplessly and hopelessly cast into a lake of fire by the angels of the living God. So they're involved with the taking of dead and putting them in the judgment of the fires of God. And then we have also in Matthew 13 the, the parable of the good fish and the bad fish. It is nets taken and it's cast out into the sea. The sea represents humanity. I'm not talking about literal fish. The sea represents humanity. And it's cast out into that sea of humanity and it's gathered back on the shore. The Bible says the angels of the Lord sit there and they separate the good fish from the bad fish. And Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So that he lets you know in the end times the kingdom of heaven is the professing church. What is the professing church going to be like in the end times. He says it's going to be like the wheat and the tares. He says it's going to be like the good fish and the bad fish that the net is cast out in the sea of humanity and gathers up. And they will pull out of that professing church. Okay? The good fish is the true church. The invisible church is visible to the human eye. But not invisible to God. Invisible to the human eye. They will separate the, the true church from the professing church. And what will happen is they will take, when you go back in there, if you want to know what we're talking about, go back into the Old Testament, the book of uh, Leviticus, where it talks about the good, the unclean, and clean animals. And that is a type of people. So he's going to gather the good fish in those that have scales, you know, Scales are people that can handle pressure. So a good fish, is, it's, it's got scales. You know, you can eat a fish that's got scales on it because it can handle pressure. It's got fins. That means it can swim in the waters. That means it can be led by the spirits of the living God. So we don't have time to teach you all everything about the clean fish, but the fact that they have scales, they can handle pressure. The fact that they have fins, they are led by the spirit of God. But there's some like an eel. Okay, there are eel people. They're going to be taken out and thrown off to the side to be judged. The stingrays are going to be taken out of the head and thrown to the side. All manner of bad fish removed out of the professing church of the living God. And the Bible tells us that the angels will be involved with that, with that judgment, okay? It's called harvesting. But that's connected to the book of Revelation as well. Now, angels also reveal the harlot and the bride. Revelation 17, uh, 1 through 7, the harlot, and then we know the bride, Revelation 19, and then Revelation 21. Okay? They're involved in the supper of the great God, 19 and 17. Supper of the great God is when Jesus comes back and he fights or he wars at the war of Armageddon. All those armies that have gathered there into the Middle East begin to fight each other, begin to try to take over Jerusalem, and then the Lord comes back and he fights the armies of Antichrist. And when he comes back, he defeats and destroys the armies of Antichrist, and the scripture tells us that the bowels of the air go and devour the flesh of the armies of the Antichrist, that's the supper of the great God. And there will be angels that are involved in the supper of the great God. Just a side note, already in Israel today, there have been huge, huge uh, vultures-type birds that have been seen in Israel that had not been seen for a long time. And prophecy keeps us connected the appearance of these huge vulture like birds as a sign of the last days. Okay. And God gathers these, these birds and, and they devour uh, the flesh and captures the mighty men. 
on and so forth. There's angels that are involved with the subject of that. Okay, you with me? They are involved in binding in Satan, uh, Revelation 21 through 4. And they're involved in the gathering of the redeemed at the second coming of Jesus. Second Thessalonians 1 and 7. Now, in the Old Testament, I'm going very quickly here. Just give you the information. In the Old Testament, God appeared in an angelic form at times. And that was called a theophany. Say with me, theophany. How many of y'all ever heard of theophany? Did you just leave? Did you just leave? All right. Theophany. Theos, God. Teneru, appearing. So you get the word theophany comes from the Greek word theos, teneru, or God appearing. Now, in the Old Testament, the so-called theophanies were visible manifestations of God in angelic form or human form. It's when the invisible God made himself visible to man. Okay? And he would appear as a man or the angel of the Lord. But what you have to understand is that the angel of the Lord are the theophanies of God. Are you with me? Okay. Let me give you some scriptures so you can read it on your own. Genesis 18, 1 through 22. Verses 22 and 33 tell you in Genesis 18 that one of those angels that appeared to Abraham was the Lord, Yahweh. Praise God. Judges 6, 11 through 22. And then Isaiah 63, 9 through 10. Uh, they led, the angel of the Lord led Israel in the wilderness. Okay, let me go back. With those scriptures in mind, then God took upon himself the form of an angel or appeared as a man called the angel of the Lord. But those theophanies dissolved they were only temporary manifestations of God in the Old Testament where the Lord would appear in a visible, physical form. But they did not continue on going. It was just a temporary thing. And these manifestations dissolved, so to speak. You understand? Okay. Whenever the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, and the Bible tells us he was incarnate. Are you here? Okay. So in, in the Old Testament, you'll see God appearing in certain times in visible form as a man or an angel. That's called the angel of the Lord. Temporary. But when he came in the form of a man, it's called incarnation. Incarnation literally means when God took on flesh or clothed himself with humanity. That's what incarnation means. God clothing himself with humanity. When he did that, it's not a temporary manifestation of God in a visible form of a man or an angel. The incarnation is eternal, not temporary. Okay? You understand that? So that now, you know, in the Old Testament, the temporary manifestation of God, but now we have a permanent manifestation of God in the body of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And that humanity of Jesus Christ now is glorified. So this, so the glorified humanity of Jesus is on the Son of God. So that glorified humanity is, uh, is going to be ongoing forever and ever and ever and ever throughout eternity. So it's not a theophany. It is the incarnation of God that has now become glorified. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that the sonship will come to an end and Jesus will be God all and all. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that now we have the incarnation as only a temporary thing like the theophany of the Old Testament? Or is it saying something else? Definitely. The Son of God will never end. His humanity will never end. It's glorified. It's eternal. All right? When it talks about 
uh, that you'll be God all in all. We're talking about the role of sonship, the purpose of sonship, to redeem us, to judge mankind, putting sin, okay, uh, under his feet. The last enemy to be defeated is death. So once he finishes the purpose or the role of sonship, he will be seen as God all in all, Jesus, but he will never speak to exist in this humanity. See that is saying. The only God you will ever see is Jesus Christ. He will be God all in all, and he will finish the role of sonship but never cease to be God in flesh. Does that make sense to you? So do you understand now the difference between the two, a theophany and the incarnation? Okay. Let's wait for All right, in the Old Testament, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to Adam. His theophany appeared to Adam in Genesis 2.16. And in 3.15, foretold the coming incarnation as the seed of the woman. Okay, angel of the Lord. It appeared to Noah, Genesis 6, verse 9. Appeared to Noah. This is God. God is talking to Adam. God is talking to Noah. And when he does, they can see him in his visible form. Okay? The Bible talks about the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What that's talking about is that God could make a visible manifestation. He appeared to Adam and talked to him. And uh, he talked to Noah. By the way, real fast, uh, one brother came to me and said, Pastor, I went to see Noah. And he said, it was, it was small. You know. Well, real fast, let me just repeat Noah real fast for you while I'm teaching on the angels. Number one, Noah, this story, that this film uh, that's out today that's on called Noah was produced by an atheist. It has nothing to do with God. God is never mentioned in the movie. He's never called God in the movie. He's called Creator. And the atheist producer said the reason why he wants to be universal, which will appeal to all gods of any people. Okay? And, number one, it promotes abortion because we see a, uh, the, the actor trying to kill his baby when it's born. It promotes abortion. It's completely taken to the core. It doesn't tell you the reason for the judgment of God upon humanity uh, by the flood was the result of sin and corruption. They're basically trying to promote, you know, a better earth and man should take care of the earth kind of a thing. And that's why God got mad is because man wouldn't take care of planet earth, you know. Uh, so they're just, it's just, it does not have anything to do with it. Pagan to the core. All right? Let's say you see. Now I say this if you do watch it, you know, I would, if, I'm, if I was going to watch it, you know, I would just simply wait till it came out on DVD or uh, pay my dollar fifty or, you know, uh, whatever. And, and, and then just sit there and critique it and be completely frustrated the whole time I'm watching it. Because that's what's going to happen to you. If, you. if you know anything about the Bible, you know anything about God, you're going to be completely frustrated the whole time you're watching it. You're going to get upset, mad, everything else. So if you're going to watch it, don't go spend, you know, whatever it costs for the movie. I would say, just do what you want to do. But when you go, have the facts when you do go. But anyway, back to Angels came and talked to Noah. The angel of the Lord came and talked to Noah. Okay, praise God. Some of you already went to see Noah. It's your heart. And, and you were so frustrated, and you know what I'm talking about, and I haven't even seen it. And I'm not mad at you if you want to see it. I'm just saying you're speaking about it. Okay. Um, Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Genesis 31, verse 11. Now, what's interesting in Hosea, the minor prophet Hosea, Hosea chapter 12, it tells you that when Jacob wrestled with that angel, Hosea clearly tells you it wasn't the angel that he wrestled with. It wasn't just an, an ordinary angel. It was a visible manifestation of God that he wrestled with Jacob. Okay? He appeared, uh, the angel of the Lord, in the bush, the burning bush, Exodus 3, verse 2, 14 through 15, Numbers 20, and verse 16. Okay. 
He was in the cloud leading Israel, the presence of the Lord. Exodus 14, 19 through 24, 32, 34, 33, 2. Okay? In the cloud. He gave the law to Moses amidst angels. Acts 7, 35, 38. Acts 7, 35, 38. 
anybody ever comes to your door, knocks on the door, and says, Jesus is the angel, you know, he's an angel, that's not true. He is literally God in the flesh. So that completes the doctrine of the teaching on the angels. And so I'm glad that I went ahead and took the time to finish, believe it, finish, uh, to give you more details on the study of angels. Lord willing, next Sunday we'll start on demonology, the study of Satan and his demons. Okay? We're going to learn a lot about fallen angels. Please stand. Father God, we come before you right now. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you as we gather. Redeemed of the Lord, gathered in this church today into your holy presence, God. The spiritual testament made perfect. The Lord with us in this house, there is a host of angels. We thank you, God, for sending them to minister to us, to protect us, to guard us, to help us. 